Well, good morning, church. Uh, wow, this is third service. Good. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not Brandon Bechtel. I am Brian Tate. Uh, we're in a message called Reset. We're in a series called Reset, and uh, we just want to thank you guys for coming. This is the third service, so I get to go as long as I want to, right? So I, I, the first two services, like I, I nailed the time, and, and they were like, then this is awesome. So this one, I can just ramble on and on, tell all the jokes I want to, right? And so uh, we are in a, a series called Reset. And so if you're new to Stone Point today, or you've missed the last two series, we have them online. You can go to thestonepointchurch.com and watch the first two weeks or listen to the first two weeks. But I'm going to kind of recap them so we can kind of get on the same page here. Uh, last week, or the first week, uh, Brandon just ended with this, spoke mightily, uh, God spoke mightily through him and said, oftentimes we plead with God to change our circumstances, but we really don't need a change in circumstances. We need to re- we need a reset with our identity. And so a lot of times we'll look at our circumstances and say, oh, we're let the circumstances define who we are. Or we'll look at our, the people that we hang out with and we'll let them define who we are. Or we'll even let, like, let, let what we think about ourselves to find who we are. And God says, no, this, this is not what you look at. You don't look at horizontally. You look at vertically and decide who God tells you who you are. So you need to reset with your identity. And that's first and foremost what has to happen. You're either in this world or you're in Christ. It's neither, it's neither one or it's, it's not both. You're either have met with a holy God and you're now in Christ or you're still in this world. You do what's right in your own eyes. And so it comes back and says, okay, once we reset our identity, we find out who God says we are, then we get to week two and it says when you understand your identity, you can reset your focus on Christ and his purposes. So what we do now is, okay, I understand who I am. My focus needs to be on Christ. It is no longer on the things around me. I don't let them tell me who I am. I don't focus on that. My focus is on, on Christ and what his purpose is. So I don't live for me. I live for God. So this week we get to talk about resetting our mission. So once we realize who God says we are and our focus is on the right thing, then what should do is our actions and our words should be compelled to change. We're no longer living on mission for ourselves. We no longer get up and we eat what we want to, we say what we want to, we go and watch whatever we want to on TV, and we love to do that. Yet we're no longer on mission for ourselves. We now have been told a different mission. So we're going to take a look at 2 Corinthians today. If you've got a Bible, you can turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, starting in verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. You can stop on the way out at the resource center out there, and we'll give you a Bible. But I'll have it up on the screen also, so you can follow along with me. So reset your mission as you're finding uh, finding it there. Uh, the very first thing that comes to my mind when I hear mission, I think mission impossible. Mission impossible is like the first thing that comes to my mind. I grew up watching the TV show with my dad and I started watching the the movies where Tom Cruise kind of took over as Ethan Hunt, right? And it's like, okay, so this is your mission should you choose to accept it, 
right? And so this is how my brain goes. Uh, I started thinking of more spy movies at that point, right? And so I'm like trying to connect all of these movies where you've got Ethan Hunt uh, in the Mission Impossible. You've got James Bond in all the Bond movies. You've got Austin Powell. Oh, wait, no, that's, that's not a really good example, is it? You've got Jason Bourne, right, in The Bourne Identity. If you've not seen The Bourne Identity, uh, I went back and kind of watched the first 15, 20 minutes of it. And man, it applies to us as li- uh, in, in our lives. Like in the very first movie, it opens up with Jason Bourne floating unconscious in the ocean. And I sat there and thought, man, that's us. Like we are being tossed to and fro when storms of life are just, we, we're trying to stay afloat in this ocean of life. And, and the storms are just coming in and engulfing us. We can't even breathe. We get all scared like, man, I'm about to die. And then when it's calm, we can stay afloat, right? Breathe easy. So it opens up with him in the ocean. He gets taken out of the ocean by some fishermen. And then he wakes up and he doesn't know who he is. And so I sit there and think, oh, we don't even know who we are when we're we're first born. Like, we don't get to choose our name. We don't get to choose our parents. We don't get to choose our siblings. We don't get to choose what country we're born in. We don't get to choose kind of our status in society. It's all just given to us. So we're working out our identity. We're trying to figure out who, our, who we are based off of what our parents tell us, based off of what other people tell us, based off of where we are in society. And then the movie goes on, and he, he gets to this point where he's looking in the mirror in the boat, and he says, tell me who I am. Like, it's, it's a pretty cool scene. He's like, I know you know who I am, but I, I don't know, so who am I? And there's a point in life where we are just at wit's end and we are staring at the mirror, screaming, saying, who is this person that I see? How did I get here? And then there's a moment when he gets to the bank, he opens up the safety deposit box and he finds his identity. And there's a moment in life that we meet our creator and he tells us who we are and it changes our identity. And then, life gets easy. Oh, wait, no, it doesn't. (laughs) The mission for Jason Bourne got a lot harder once he found out who he was. And once you find out your mission and your identity, it gets difficult. So we're going to take a look at a passage in 2 Corinthians today. We're about to pray. And we're going to see the focus, the identity, and what our mission is as followers of Christ, if you're in Christ today. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll we'll dive in. Father, I do thank you for our identity. God, I ask that if there's anyone uh, just today that is struggling with identity, that that, uh, has lost their identity, that is still in the world, I ask that you speak to them and help them realize who you say they are, Father. And God, those of us that are in Christ today, I ask that you speak to us and just say who we are in you today. And I ask that you clearly define our mission that we are to be on today and the weeks to come as we walk this earth in your spirit, Father. God, I thank you and I praise your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. So 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, is this is all about focus. This is your focus. So um, starts out and it says, for Christ's love compels us. So what gets us up, what gets us going, if you're in Christ, the love of Christ compels you 
to do something. Well, what is that love? Like, what, what are we talking about? I don't, I don't really know what Christ's love is. Says, because we are convinced that one died for all. Okay, there's the love. Christ came and died for all. Literal translation, everyone, right? There's nobody that is exempt from Christ's love. Doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter your mistakes, doesn't matter where you are in society, you are loved by Christ. And he wants to say, okay, I came and died for you, and I want to be, I want you to be in our family. And so he says, so once this love compels us into a relationship with a holy God, and we realize that he died for us, then therefore we all die. We've all died to ourselves. It says, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So no longer is our focus on us. We no longer focus on what we want to do. We no longer focus on our mission. We focus on Christ and his purposes. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. And if you never really grew up in church or you remember uh, your life before Christ, there's a lot of times where you're like, I just don't get that guy. Like, I don't understand Christ. Why would he do all this? I think I, I see him as a good guy. I see him as an awesome teacher. But you've not experienced his true identity, which is the Savior of our souls. And so once you experience that, just like Paul, your view of Christ changes and the view of others change. No longer do we walk around saying, okay, what can I get from this person? What can I get from this person? What can I get from this person? Because a lot of times that's what we do as humans. We see our, our relationships as what can I get? But instead, you now see them, hey, are you already in our family? Are you my brother or sister in Christ? And if not, we want you here as quickly as possible. And so you, your worldview of just the relationships around you change at that point if your focus is on Christ. And so there's the focus. Now, we're, he's going to come to 17 and talk about the identity. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... So here's the identity statement. If you are in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. And what's interesting, he doesn't say the old kind of steps over in the corner and the, and the new kind of takes over. He doesn't say, no, the new comes and intermingles or intertwines with the old. No, he says the old is completely gone. It is no longer here. A new creation came. So no longer are you defined by your past or your mistakes or the addictions or the, or the difficulties or the fact that you're divorced or any of that. You are now a new creation in Christ. And praise God for that. Praise God that we are seen as a new creation. So here's our identity. And as a new creation, what's our mission now? And Paul uses his words wisely here. He gets to 18 and he says, all of this is from God. So everything I just said is from God. And he wants his readers to know because he's writing to the church. He said, this is from God. This isn't from me. This is from God. He said, who reconciled us to himself. Now we, uh, in, in the United States, in, in just as humans, we understand a worldly 
uh, representation of reconciled. We, we see many marriages that need to be reconciled. We see friendships that need to be reconciled. We see um, relationships between parents and, and uh, children be reconciled. We see nations that need to be reconciled. And the thing is, is with worldly reconciliation, it's because there's usually fault on both parties. Like you are, It may be minuscule on one and great on the other, or 50-50, but there's always fault in both parties. Something needs to change because of both parties in order to be reconciled. But God here, he's done nothing wrong. Like he is the perfect God that created the perfect creation, that created the perfect man that set up the perfect law. And we, as man have turned our eyes away from God and have decided to do what's right in our own eyes versus what's right in God's eyes. We do what we want to do based off of the fleshly desires, right? Because we learned about that last week. Flesh gives birth to flesh while spirit gives birth to spirit. So we do what's right in our flesh. And God here, who is perfect, is the one actually reconciling us, the imperfect, to him. Through Christ. So what Christ did on the cross, that's how he is reconciling us. And here it is. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's your your mission. If you are in Christ, your mission is the ministry of reconciliation. Now, if you've ever wondered, like, once I become a follower of Christ, once I am in Christ, I am seen as perfect. Why can't I just be in the presence of a holy God at that time? Because God uses the imperfect people that has nothing to do with reconciliation to save other imperfect people. We are to bring the actual ministry of reconciliation to people that don't know about it yet. We are called to go and make disciples. And so we walk this earth because there's still people that need God. So we go through and, and realize ministry is an action here. It's not like this is the, the action part of what we're called to do. And this verse right here, it kind of beat me up this week. Uh, we're reading a book called Dangerous Calling as staff. Uh, and it talks about worshiping your way through the message. And so uh, I'm still struggling with what that, what that is. But during this message, instead of looking about what I need to speak to everyone else, I look and say, okay, God, how can you work on me? How can I change? And this verse really just kind of slapped me in the face like four or five times every time I'm practicing, right? Because I've gotten so wrapped up in my job as a pastor or as in ministry that I've forgotten my first call. Like I am doing a good thing of getting people plugged into ministry, but I'm missing the people that need the ministry of reconciliation. And so not, not only do I walk this earth and I'm thinking about all of this stuff that needs to happen and I let life take control, I miss the opportunity when I go to the gas station to talk to the clerk about the ministry of reconciliation. I miss the lady in Walmart when I'm checking out, and I've got 10 minutes to actually start up a conversation and share the gospel to her. I miss the people that I'm walking alongside. On the sidewalk, they walk by, and that might be a divine moment that God wants me to share something. And I have missed 
the opportunity to take on the ministry of reconciliation. So he goes on. He says, okay, so here's the ministry of reconciliation. Well, what are we supposed to say? Like, so that God, so if you missed it the first time, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. That's good news, right? Thank goodness he doesn't hold anything that I've done against me. Because, what does it say in Romans? That the wage of sin is death. That's what I am to be given because of my sin. But he doesn't hold any of my sin against me. And he has committed to us, and it's interesting, he doesn't use the ministry of reconciliation here. He says the message of reconciliation. So not only are we supposed to actually be active in ministry of reconciliation, we are to have a message. We are to have words of reconciliation. It means... Well, what do I say? How do I say it? So we get to verse 20 here, and it says, We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, here's the message, for the third time, be reconciled to God. Just in case we miss it, because we're all humans, God created us, and he makes it pretty clear. Okay? And then I'm I'm like, okay, this ambassador, this word ambassador, if I am Christ ambassador, if that is how I am to take the message of reconciliation to people that don't know this message, then what what am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to say? And so I looked up the definition of ambassador, and it said that you are a representative of the highest rank of either a sovereign, a state, or a government that has a temporary message. And so I was sitting there thinking, okay, how can that, how does that relate to being an ambassador for Christ? So I am a representative of a sovereign. I am a representative of the creator of this universe. And I'm of the highest rank. Like, I'm not the lowest person on the totem pole here. You come as the person of highest rank in the kingdom of God to bring a temporary message. Why is it temporary? Because the ministry of reconciliation has an end point. When you die, there is no more ministry of reconciliation. You are in the presence of a holy God. There is no reconciling to God at that point. If Jesus comes back tomorrow and judges the world, there's no more ministry of reconciliation. It is final. It is over. So we have a temporary message that we are to bring of reconciliation. And so then I thought, okay, let's unpack this word ambassador. And so I kind of want to look at a few things here and and see kind of as we move forward how we're supposed to go out as Christ ambassadors. It says representative of the king. Now this is a a big failure on my part because I don't represent the king always that great. I go walking around and I fail to talk to somebody. I, I, I might slip and say something that I don't like to say. I might let my anger get a hold of me. And my representation, my represent, being a representative of the king is not good. An ambassador does not speak to please his audience. 
So you got a king that tells the ambassador, go to this village, and in three weeks tell them I'm coming to take over. They got to be gone. Ambassador goes, shares the message with the village. What's the village going to say? We don't like that message, right? And the ambassador doesn't go, well, let me go back to the king and see if I can work a different message. He doesn't do that. Have you ever talked to somebody and told them, guess what? You're sinful. That is not a fun message. (laughs) Have you ever gone and said, because of that sin, the stuff you really enjoy doing, you're actually going to die an eternal death. Wow, that didn't get better. Right? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Like that, that part is great news. But the problem is, is we have to talk about the first part. When you go and you tell somebody, hey, stop doing what you want to do, they're going to say, forget you. Because I love doing what I want to do. I love eating what I want to eat. I love going to the shops I want to go to, right? Not all of this is sin, but as a person, as a a human being, we love to do what we're born to do, and that's sin. And when you tell somebody, hey, you need to stop it, that's not a very friendly message to start out with. The ambassador does not speak on his own authority. The opinions and demands mean very little. And here as Americans, this is where we yell, freedom, right? And we're like, my opinion matters. When the king was given the message to the ambassador to go to the village, and he says, you know what? I don't think those villagers are going to like that too much. The king didn't change the message. When he says, you know what, king? I think I got a better idea. Why don't you give me some of your money, and I'll go buy the village from them? That would, you know, at least help them out. When we go and we look at the message of, of reconciliation, we say, okay, I really like the idea of love and forgiveness, but I'm not so sure about this part over here. I don't like to talk about this part. Well, that opinion doesn't really matter at this point. God has set it up that way, and that's what we're called to say. And we can't really say, you know what, God? You know, I'll go take your message if. There's no ifs with God. We can't go, you know what, if you make sure my rent's paid this month, I'll go take your message. God, if you make sure my vehicle's working, I'll go take your message to the people I come into contact with. God, if you give me a better job, I'll give, give out your message. God, if you fix my marriage, I'll relay your message Honor and reputation are in their hands. And it's not our honor and reputation. It's God's honor and reputation. That's scary. Because our actions don't always honor or give a great reputation to God. Like I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this past week, all I've done... God's honor and his reputation was at stake. Did I fail or did I come through? My words 
when my anger gets the best of me and I speak to my kids or my spouse, his honor and reputation is at hand. When I'm on Facebook and I post something or share something, God's honor and reputation is at hand. Are we being serious about the king we're representing or are we still living in our fleshly desires? An ambassador does not come to change the culture. An ambassador didn't come from France to the United States to say, hey, we know what we're doing in France. So if you change this up over here, if your houses start looking a certain way, if you need to raise your income up a little bit. I don't like your clothes. I think you need to say something a little different. Then I'm going to give you the message. God doesn't come to put a Band-Aid on things. God doesn't, while good, to provide shelter and and income, and education, and, and clothes. All of these are good things. If you don't have the gospel, you're just putting band-aids on things. Because God knows that if he comes and changes the heart, which it says in the Bible that the heart, the man's heart is desperately wicked and sick, then he doesn't change the culture. Do we need less violence? Yes. Do we need marriages to survive? Yes. Do we need less child abuse? Yes. But if we do not change the heart of man, we do not change the culture. If we change the heart of man, we change the culture. And God knows this. Because your focus is on Christ and his purposes, not yourself. And then he says the most beautiful verse through the whole thing. At least this is just what I think. And it says, God made him who had no sin. So God made Christ. God God put on Christ who had no sin, lived a perfect life to be sin. Didn't say to become a sinner. Said to be sin for us, the ones that had the sin. So that in him, we might become perfect We might have eternal life. We might have security. We might have uh, riches. No. So that we become the righteousness of God. Like this is huge. You are a walking miracle. You are a walking miracle because you are now the righteousness of God walking this earth. You are no longer an eye doctor. You're the righteousness of God in your workplace, actually being a representation of the God that uh, helped the blind man see. You're no longer a teacher educating students. You're actually the righteousness of God educating them about much higher things. You are no longer a fireman who goes and just serves and rescues. You are the righteousness of God that's the ultimate servant and rescue him from much things much worse than this life. You are no longer a policeman that goes to serve and protect, but you're the righteousness of God that goes and serves and actually protects from spiritual warfare no one sees. You are no longer a coach. Just 
telling them how to play the game. You're the righteousness of God that has the game of life and instruction for them. You're no longer yourself. You're the highest rank, the righteousness of God. That's why we live different. That's why we say different things, because we are the righteousness of God coming into our workplace, into our home, into our hobbies, and people have to see it because people need that righteousness. And he goes on. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path, uh-oh, so that our ministry will not be discredited. You have a ministry of reconciliation, and we've got a great problem with putting stumbling blocks in people's paths. Because we, again, love to do what the old self loves to do. The psalmist puts it this way. He talks about the creation is giving glory to God through just mere action. It has no words. The writer of Hebrew talks about when uh, you're... Uh, the new Jewish Christian going into these towns and the Gentiles, which are the non-believers at the time, tell you, you evildoers and start persecuting you. It says, let your actions be so honorable that they glorify God in the end. We have got to learn to stop throwing stumbling blocks in people's way because we don't want to give up our sins. We've got to realize that we are the righteousness of God coming in, and we don't want any stumbling block to be put in somebody's way. We're pretty good at doing that, and we're also pretty good at putting our own stumbling blocks in, right? We look at our past mistakes, our past failures, all these things that people say we are, and we throw it again to ourselves, and we don't constantly focus on what God says we are. And so we'll say, God, I am not capable of doing this. I, I can't do it. I, I'm, I, I can't go tell anybody these things. I don't know the Bible good enough. And we're great at making a stumbling block for ourselves. Then he goes on. And I want to read with you uh, what Paul says because now he says, okay, here's your mission. And now so as servants of God, here's kind of what happened to him. And so he's telling you, hey, this is how, how life turns easy, okay? So rather as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in trouble. Uh, I think I picked up the wrong Bible. In troubles? Oh, wait, no, life doesn't get easier. In troubles, in hardships, and distresses, anyone been there? In beatings, imprisonments, and riots, don't raise your hand. In hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, anyone been there? In purity, understanding, patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love. In truthful speech, and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness, in the right hand and in the left. And he's going to say a few things here through glory and dishonor, good or bad, in bad report or good. We're genuine, yet we're regarded as imposters. We're known by a holy God, yet regarded as unknown by the people we come into contact with. We're dying physically, and yet we live on eternally. We're beaten 
And I love Paul's humor. Yet not killed. Right? We're sorrowful. Who's been there? Yet always rejoicing. We're poor. He didn't say he's rich. He said making others rich. Making many rich. Having nothing. Realizing that this world holds nothing. And yet possessing everything. This mission is a difficult mission. And once you focus on Christ and what he says we are, and when you get his purposes straight, we realize we really have nothing in this world. Yet our mission is so worth it because in the end, we possess everything. So I'm going to leave you with one last uh, illustration. We uh, had the violinist the first two weeks, and so I found a violinist. So uh, I only know of one violinist, and um, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure you, you guys know who this is too. As I was sitting there and uh, Brandon made the challenge of, oh, maybe we'll have a violinist next week. This guy came to mind. And so this, this guy's name is Louis Feinberg, okay? And he was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And when he was younger, he was, bo- well, he was born to a mother and father that were watchmen, that, that fixed watches. They had their workplace in, in their house. And so at, at a young age, uh, which is at four, he goes in and he sees what he, he thinks is a drink. And he goes to get the cup and go to drink it. Well, his dad looks over and he sees, oh man, that's the acid that I clean watches with. And so he goes to hit it out of his hand. And as he does, it gets it all over his arm. And it just singes his arm, scars his arm, and in fact, he loses the use of his arm. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever had to recover from something, it's a pretty difficult thing. And so, in order, after they wrapped it up and it kind of healed, has the scars, they unwrap it, and the doctor says, okay, you need to do something to help with your, the use of your arm. And so he says, I, we recommend enrolling him in violin lessons. So... The parents enroll him in violin lessons, and he starts playing and, and recovering, and it's a difficult process. It's a difficult process to get the, the work of his arm back. And while going, he gets pretty good, but he realizes he's not, he, he's not really there yet. And so as he's playing, he realizes, hey, I'm pretty good. I kind of want to become famous. And so now he's got a mission to become famous, but he's got a very difficult road ahead of him. And so he, he's playing, and he does, he does okay, and then he's like, well, maybe I should enroll in boxing. Not my first choice, right? I don't think, oh, I need the use of my arm. I'm going to go get punched in the face, right? That's not what I do. So, but he enrolls in boxing, and he starts learning how to take some punches and give some punches. And then he's like, his father pulls him out of boxing and says, you don't need to be in there. It's going to hurt you. And then he says, let's keep going with the violin. So he continues with the violin, and he works his arm, and eventually gets the use of his arm back. And he gets really good at the violin. And so he goes on this little roadside, uh, road, roadside show thing, and he's learning, and he's kind of... Uh, he's pretty funny, and he sees a talent scout, and, and lo and behold, the talent scout wants him. Now, he had a mission of becoming famous, but it's a very difficult road ahead. And you guys are like, okay, who's Louis Feinberg? Well, you may not know him as Louis Feinberg, but you do know him as Larry Fine from the Three Stooges, right? Like, this is his story. He wanted to become famous, and guess what? His mission accomplished, Right? 
Like, I didn't know the other two violins Brandon talked, violinist Brandon talked about. I'm not that sophisticated, right? But I know who that is, right? He had a very difficult road ahead. Yet he had his mission, his focus. And while difficult, in the end, paid off and so much worth it. So, I'm going to leave you with this. When you understand your identity, your focus is on Christ and his purposes, then you reset your mission as an ambassador of Christ. And while very difficult, in the end, you possess everything and so worth it. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you just help us to to focus on your purposes this week, to take a look and see the people that we come in contact at work, at school, at uh, just wherever we are, and realize that you have called us to this ministry of reconciliation. You've asked us to become a part of an ambassador for you, to take the message to people that don't necessarily want to hear it. But I ask that you help just... Continue to help us to focus on your love and what you did for us that helps compels us to continue on your mission. Father, I just thank you for today and ask that you help us just to reset our mission to what you want and not what we want. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.